And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of Why Always Us, a Manchester City podcast brought to you by The Athletic. I'm David Mooney and today we're going to look back on the biggest news stories of 2020 for Manchester City. If you sign up to The Athletic right now, you can give another subscription as a gift to someone else for absolutely nothing. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all the podcasts as well. Wave goodbye to 2020 and say hello to 2021 by sharing the gift of The Athletic's unrivaled football coverage for the whole year. It's the perfect present for yourself and for someone else. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod. That's theathletic.com forward slash mancitypod and sign up. Now, for City, the interesting stories for 2020 were as much off the pitch as they were on it. There was a major transfer saga, there was an end to the club's run-in with the European governing body, and some football was played as well. In February, City were handed a two-year ban from the Champions League after UEFA found them guilty of breaching financial fair play. The club appealed and said it had irrefutable evidence that UEFA were wrong, taking the case to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. In July, the verdict was announced and Cass had found in City's favour. Sam Lee reacted to the verdict. It was shock at first. I was shaking when I read it because I was just—it's was just the anticipation of what it was going to be. And then, like, and the, the website went down. Yeah, the yeah, it wasn't very. And all of a sudden, well, I thought it had gone down, and all of a sudden it came up. I was like, oh god, okay, it's here. Um, but it's not like massively clear straight away, is it? Like they don't write it in big bold letters at the top. You know, <laughs> no Champions League ban. It's like, hey, what am I reading here? Um, I'm surprised, but I mean, the kind of the wavering in my voice there is because I don't know if I should have been because hmm, there, I mean there's been so much said about it and obviously we've now got to the, the stage that obviously we did that story that we've talked about a lot and I've talked about a lot back in November about City not getting a ban and part of the information there um, which I did tweet in December if people don't believe me, is that, <laughs> to be to be fair, to be fair, the information was that City wouldn't get a ban in the first place. But even if they did, they would get it overturned. So I mean, I'm, why I go back to saying I'm surprised is I probably shouldn't have been because we were confident in that information when we published it back in November anyway. So I shouldn't have been surprised. But in all the months that have passed and how severe the ban was, um, and going back to you know the legal guys who didn't think the time barred stuff would work. I was going to say, when we discussed it a few weeks ago, the feeling was generally that this isn't the outcome that was going to happen, that the the most likely outcome would be to sort of meet in the middle outcome. But that hasn't happened at all. Well, I didn't think there'd be a meet in the middle. I thought it'd be one or the other. Um, And and it it has been. It's been the other, you know, City have have got no ban. So I I didn't think it would come down to being meeting in the middle, but it just seemed that the whole time barred thing wouldn't be valid. That's what... um, 
and again, why, I've, why I do these pieces, I speak to the legal people. I spoke to two people on the record, and I spoke to another couple of us, others just to say, is this right? Is this what you know? Is this what you would say? And they go, yeah, you know, the time barred stuff doesn't matter. So I was quite surprised to see the time barred stuff in there. And there's a lot more to say on that, which we might get into later. Um, so I'm, I, I, mean, I am surprised, yeah, just because of everything that's happened over the last the last few months. Um, but as again, whenever we did the pod, I know we did the pod last week which was, you know, how much does he need to rebuild next season? And I went into, you know, points deductions and that kind of thing there, which I kind of tweeted about afterwards and was like, I got a bit carried away on worst case scenario <laughs> with that. Even though, you know, again, that was at the time. Um, but when we did the main ins and outs of the Cass case, you know, for the week in June when the hearing was, and we did say, and we've always said all along, you know, City say they've got this evidence. And if they do provide that, then they'll be okay. And presumably they have provided that and they are okay. And look, there's still there's still some things to come out of this, which may damage City reputationally, or may um, that what that'll be what will really damage FFP. But I mean, at the end of the day, now whatever happens, and I'm reading now that Javier Tebas, the La Liga president, is having a right old moan, and this really does look like sour grapes. I mean, I'm well, not... I was going to say that the, the people can moan all they want, like as far as as the court of arbitration for sport go, and as far as UEFA go, City haven't done what was alleged to have have happened. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Um, like if if City had have had the ban upheld, there would have been City fans saying, "I'm not sure about Cass. Are they the right people to do it?" And I would have said, "Come on, lads!" Like. Everybody accepts that Cass is the right body to hear these, to hear these rulings, um, but now it's the, it's the other way, and it's Javier Tebas, and like I say, he's having a right old complaint. It's it's quite unseemly, to be fair. Um, you know, he's saying we have to reassess whether Cass is appropriate body to which to uh, appropriate body to appeal institutional decisions in football. Switzerland is a country with a great history of arbitration. Cass is not up to that standard. Which I, I just I think that genuinely is sour grapes. I would have said it the same thing if somebody at City had have said it. If the ban had gone against them, I'd have said exact same thing. Uh, uh, that's the thing. At, at that point, fine. though, at that point, though, if you, if that's your position, you kind of have to go. Well, like, where's your evidence for that, mate? You know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's not complained in the past when you know Cass have made these decisions. I don't yeah. think. I mean, maybe, maybe well, to be fair, maybe yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> um, but the other element is like. The issue is with UEFA. You know, if we go back to this time barred thing, I think I've mentioned it a couple of times now, so we, but we'd better explain it soon. But if we come back to that, and if that's effectively means some kind of technicality for City, we don't know yet, but if it is, then Teba should be more angry with UEFA. It, it's weird to go for cash straight away. It's like, it does just come across as sour grapes. Well, let's let's get into the time barred stuff because lo- looking into the full judgment, what uh, what the the rest of the uh, of the cast press release said was um, uh, the cast award emphasised that most of the alleged breaches were either not established or time barred. Yeah. Um, so what what does what what, is it, what do what do they mean when they say time barred? Yeah. Well, in in this case, the time barred is, and we've mentioned it before. But this is what all the legal experts thought wouldn't matter. Um, five years. Uh, if anything happened five years ago. More than five years ago, you can't be done for it again. So let's say, for argument's sake, uh, Real Madrid breached financial fair play rules in 2013, and they were discovered now. You know, by this precedent at Cass, even if UEFA said, "Well, we're going to ban you from the Champions League for this," they couldn't because UEFA's own statutes say that if you committed a breach more than five years ago, we can't look at it again. That's the UEFA's own statutes, and I know people made this case. You know, City fans made this case. Um, UEFA's own statutes say that you can't look at a breach if it's happened more than five years ago and you can't relook at something 
if it's a previous settlement. And obviously City did reach a previous settlement. So the legal opinion was kind of, well, Cass wouldn't mind about the time bar thing because if you take everything as it is and there is evidence, and now this might be the crucial part of it, if there is evidence that City have done wrong, then they would side with UEFA and say, despite the fact that it was more than five years ago, we don't mind that because City have done wrong and we're going to punish them. And now maybe, because the other element, as we said, of Cash's decision is that proof of City's alleged wrongdoing was not established. So UEFA couldn't prove it. So now maybe if UEFA couldn't prove it, and there's a couple of little issues which aren't great for City that happened more than five years ago, Cass may have looked at the whole thing, and we won't know this until the, the full reasons are out later in the week, but Cass may have looked at the whole thing and gone, there is not enough here, UEFA, to yeah. ban City, let alone for two years. And that that is probably it. But it will be very interesting to see exactly what was time barred. Because if it if it comes out, and I don't I doubt it will, because it's not established. So they could UEFA can't have proved it well enough. But if somehow it does come out that if City committed the breaches more than five years ago, and there were massive breaches, but UEFA couldn't act on them, then that is a technicality and it will be bad for City's reputation. Look, whether City fans care or not, and it doesn't matter at the end of the day because they're in the Champions League, but it would be bad for City's reputation and it would be terrible for financial fair play. That's where the big knock-on is for financial fair play because then it would be, well, you you know there's these breaches here, but you can't punish them because it's five years ago. What what, what are you doing? And that's where the, the spotlight would really be thrown onto FFP and its suitability to, to regulate and govern. But like I say... The fact that the other half says it wasn't established and there was effectively no proof. I, I'm wondering what actually is the time-barred stuff. It can't be that serious. Well, but it, yeah. but we, we should find out soon. Well, I mean, in, in terms of, of uh, anything else, there's been no indication on, on how much of it was because it was time-barred and how much of it City have, no, exactly. have, have been able to prove. To see, yeah. So that's, that, that's kind of what we need to see. But, I mean, speaking as a City fan, first off, for myself... I, I the, the overriding feeling this morning is is that actually it feels it feels positive that it, that that city have been able to prove that what they what they were alleged to have done has not happened in some extent otherwise it, they wouldn't have had the ruling so you know so so greatly in their favour so yeah. I, although I, I think UEFA's statement does say many of the alleged breaches were time barred so but again like it. Hmm. Maybe maybe it's purely the time barred element. Maybe they've just said there are a lot. But the fact that Cass also said they were not established, like they couldn't prove them. Maybe so. If they, if they couldn't prove them, then yeah, it's I don't know. Well, I mean, I've got, I've, I've got the two statements here. This is what City say. City say, whilst Manchester City and its legal advisers are yet to review the full ruling by the Court of Arbitration for Sport, the club welcomes the implications of today's ruling as a validation of the club's position and body of evidence that it was able to present. The club wishes to thank the panel members for their diligence and the due process that they administered. Uh, meanwhile, UEFA say, UEFA notes that the CAS panel found there was insufficient conclusive evidence to uphold all of the club financial control body's conclusions in this specific case, and that many of the alleged breaches were time barred due to the five-year time period foreseen in the UEFA regulations. Um, Sam, that, 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 I mean, ultimately, I kind of feel like that is what they would say. Do you know what I mean? Nothing groundbreaking in either of those statements, is there? No, and if the shoe was on the other foot and City had been banned, they, you know, City would have strongly disputed it, I would imagine, and we would have said the same thing, or others would have said the same thing. You know, well, what do you expect them to say? Um, so, yeah, the statements today... The statements today really, apart from obviously the CAS one, are neither here nor there. What City say um, and what UEFA say. Um, it will be very interesting to see in a few days, which CAS have 
promised when that full award as they call it comes out so if you hear people talking about the award that just means that's like what the full mean. written yeah. reasons so when that comes out that'll be very interesting because like, like i say it ultimately a lot of city fans won't care because city are in the champions league and it's very much a victory for city and it's a defeat for uefa very much so that won't really change but you know there are there, there might be things in there which suggest that city did break all the rules but they can't be touched which obviously a lot of city fans would like would really enjoy anyway it's like when the team <laughs> dives for a penalty you don't really care do you if anything it's a bit sweeter but like there, there may be you know there, there's there's a bit still to come at the end of the day like i say it doesn't matter the band's the band's not happening so a lot of fans can just crack on and enjoy but there is still a little bit to come and it will be interesting to see on the pitch, though, City's European exploits didn't go to plan. The pandemic put an early end to the normal Champions League format after Pep Guardiola's side had won 2-1 away at Real Madrid in the last 16 first leg. And after winning the second leg by the same scoreline more than five months later, City were off to the mini-tournament in Lisbon. They faced Lyon and put in a below-par performance, unexpectedly going out in a 3-1 defeat. After the game, Guardiola's tactics were questioned as he went three at the back, matching up the French side. Sam Lee gave his assessment of the game. I, I can understand the logic. And like I say, I don't want to just be seen as... If I'd have done a thread on Twitter about, well, look, Guardiola was worried about the... the the like getting isolated in the channels with slow centre-backs. Um, and he wanted, you know, he wanted, you know, the superiority in numbers to build out. So we had three from the back against their two forwards. So there was always a, a man spare and they could build out easily. I was I was just very wary that people would be like, this guy is literally never going to criticise Guardiola ever. Um, but, I mean, that is really valid. But yeah, the other side of it is, the other side of it is, when City finally did get in gear around the hour mark, having written off an hour of the game, basically, they created so many chances. They looked so much better that you almost think it was worth sticking with the whole way through. But then, Leon did exactly what Guardiola was worried about. I can't, I can't work it out. Like, well, this in terms is... of the tactical setup, I can't work out exactly. You know, I, I did criticise Guardiola. My article is probably the most critical I've been of his team selection. Even though I've tried to understand it, I do think there was an element of you were worrying too much about that. I do think he was scared. I've said this before, very recently on a podcast. I do think the whole. I think his whole career is basically under underpinned by being scared of not losing control of, of not having control so he wants that control and he's scared of not having it and I do think this season he's got more and more scared of that because he doesn't trust the defence clearly he doesn't trust the defence because he's put Fernandinho in it but he's not had anyone to replace Fernandinho and he's not had anyone to replace David Silva so he's trying to make the midfield more solid by taking his two of the best three players out of it and covering the defence which isn't quick and then he played three centre-backs against Leon, and I've seen the point made on on Twitter and it does make sense like of the thing is oh, we've been into the reasons why he doesn't play Foden or, or, or Bernardo Silva um instead of David Silva you know we've talked about that quite a bit but basically they're different types of players and it's only the kind of subtle difference that somebody like Guardiola would spot um, and we've talked about my theory on why he doesn't make substitutions and we might come back to that because it was basically the same against Leon but there must be a reason why he doesn't play Carl Walker as a right-sided centre back in a back three. Like, I know he's never going to do it in a in a in a back four because he, Walker's not as good on the ball as they need him to be in terms of playing it along the floor through the lines. But if you're worried about pace and you're worried about balls over the top, get the fastest just, man on the team on, on the, the fact, case. Yeah, just so at least if they've got a counter attack, then he can go and snuff it out like that. Obviously, is it that simple? Like, is he over, like is he overcomplicating it in that sense? Like, and you, then you could just put Cancelo at right wing back because Guardiola said, "Oh well, you know, it's his country, and you know he's deserved to start." Well, 
obviously it's Bernardo's country as well, but that didn't make any difference. <laughs> like, fine, Cancelo was all right. I, I, I've I said in the build up, probably on this podcast, definitely on others and on the Q and A's on the Athletic, I would have played Mendy just because he's a better attacking outlet. And look, to be fair, what City created in the first half was pretty much Cancelo putting good balls in behind the defence, but it only happened like three times. But you could easily, if you're definitely going to play three at the back because you wanted to avoid counters and you wanted to have, you know, Rodri and Gundogan-ish in front of the defence to stop that happening, then you had to put Walker in the back three and then use Cancelo on the right and, and Mendy on the left. and then it, But then it all goes back to a lack of trust in so many players. Like, in so many players. Like, Walker, not Walker, Stones and Otamendi obviously didn't get a look in. That's no surprise. We knew that wouldn't happen. I wouldn't say he doesn't trust David Silva, but we know that he doesn't use David Silva in the big games because the physicality is not there. I mean, but obviously then you're you're more worried about what David Silva can take away from your performance than what he can give. Yeah. And are you telling me that he can't give something? to That, a, that he couldn't have found a, 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 a like killer it? pass or, yeah. I know, I know. I mean, I do, I do understand you can't criticise a man for trying to cover up your team's weaknesses because at the end of the day, is that not what a football manager does? And people will say you play to your own strengths, but there's there is a balance. I suppose there is a balance, and he didn't find it. I know we talked probably about for about ten minutes already. It's been a bit of a waffle. I'm still still trying to work out exactly what went wrong. We focused on the tactical side of it. Don't worry, we will get to the other element. That my god, like, <laughs> like when we when we were when we were previewing this. And look, you know, I was quite positive about City's chances last week and I thought they'd kind of turned the corner in Europe and, you know, they had a sensible sensible game plans and, you know, the pressing was back. Um, and, you know, I wrote an article after Madrid, this is what they need to do if they want to go and win it, you know, and they'd keep creating chances because they won't score them. But, you know, if they create, if they create that many, they might be all right. And keep, was it, it was something about the defence, but, you know, just keep pressing basically and, and you know, keep, keep believing. But basically none of those things happened. And, in terms of creating chances, they didn't create enough, and just the oh, the ones they did, like the ones I know, they the, did. The thing just, is, and, like, and look, like nobody's surprised who missed them as well. Like I'm not having I'm not having a go at Sterling and Jesus because it's that debate we've had all season. They both had their best goal scoring seasons for City. They're both very good players. Sterling in particular. Sterling was in particular one of the best players on the pitch last night. Um, but everybody knew coming into it, as you said in the in the, in the introduction. One in every four, four or five games, City can have one and it's not going to be their night. And you just knew that if that was going to happen, there were going to be two players who who would, if that was going to happen, the, who would miss the chances. And yeah. they both did it. Like Jesus' chance compared to Sterling's was not easy, but it was an easy chance. Yeah, he was picked out in acres of space. Score that, City go 2-1 up. I'm not, I don't want to say that would have been the end of the game, but City would have been 2-1 up. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. 
And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruits and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. That game was the final competitive appearance in a City shirt for club legend David Silva, who was leaving after 10 years at the Etihad. We'd always known this was to be his final season at the club, and while football was suspended during lockdown, Sam Lee and first Jack Pitt Brook discussed with me what impact he'd had on the Premier League. Like he's an absolute football genius. He, he's, he's got incredible, he's incredible first touch, awareness... Like we were talking about De Bruyne and his awareness the other last week, and Silver I think is really exactly the same. He's not as athletic as De Bruyne, but he's got that like that knowledge of where everyone is on the pitch at all times. He's got his ability to wait a pass is unlike anything I've ever seen over short and long distances. His ability to keep the ball under pressure is unbelievable. If you want to, he can play the kind of killer pass inside a defender. He can. If you just need need to keep the ball to see out a win, he can do that too, just with short passes. He basically runs the game because he knows he knows what's going to happen. He knows where the opponents are and where his teammates are. He knows it's just he has this like instinctive football intelligence, which no, I've never really seen another player who has that in quite the same way as him, and it allows him to dictate what happens on the pitch more than anything else. That's more than anyone else I've ever seen. That's why there's such a difference between City with and without Silver over the years, because he is the, he is the brains of the team. He just organises the team on the pitch. If you read um, it's, if you read that Dennis Bergkamp's book, um, he uses the phrase technical leader, and that's a kind of type of football leadership which isn't you know shouting and screaming. It's it is setting the kind of standards and the tempo for how the team plays. And, you know, what was true, I think, of Burkamp for his teams is also true of Silver in the way that he plays. Honestly, he's, I think he's the best. I think he's, he's obviously City's best player of all time for me. I think he's my favourite footballer of all time. Uh, I could talk about him for hours if, if we had enough time to get on the podcast, but we probably don't. You can look at individual performances and great moments that he's had, and there've been millions. But I think it's—I think he's a player for whom I think he's a player who is bigger than individual performances. He's a player who who's bigger than like goals and assists and moments because he—he's a player who elevates the level of the team. He's a player who transforms the team from being, you know, a disaggregated collection of you know ten other guys in blue shirts into being a into being like a a unified whole. As in, he he aggregates the individuals in the team, and nobody else. I've never seen anybody else be able to do that in the same way because that is what football is. Like football is a cha- like the key challenge of football is turning your eleven individuals into one unit, and you know generally it's managers who do that, and man- managers are more important to anyone else who does that. Whereas Silver is an individual who converts the parts into a whole. That's his genius. Sam, can you understand why I find it so hard to, to explain what I like about him and what, what makes him so easy to watch and so appealing to watch? Because, yeah. like, as Jack said there, it's not it's not about the individual bits. No, that's poetry from Jack there. And I was going to say, I'm, I'm not going to, and I'm glad you didn't ask, but I'm not, I'm not going to try and add anything to that. You know, that is 
that was fantastic description of of what it is about silver because it just it just nails it that absolutely nails it and when he was saying he's he's not Silver's not a player of, you know, moments and, you know, passes or assists or goals or whatever. I was thinking that's probably why, you know, there's always this line about him being underappreciated. It's because you can't really boil that down into well, You a can't YouTube make a YouTube or like a, yeah, yeah, exactly, or a, or a Sky Sports highlight video. So if you were to if you were to kind of put forward the evidence on like a highlights package of five minute clips of City's all time best players, Silver would be below Aguero and Yaya Torre because there's just so much. And in you know in big moments, in big games, Yaya Torre's goals, they were always there. Aguero's goals, they were always there. You can't, yeah, you can't quantify David Silva's in the same way. And and that is, that's a kind of, to go back to your question, that's a problem for me because it's not that I don't appreciate a player like David Silva. Of course I do because I listen to other people you know, who are around City who explain why he's so good. And, and obviously, descriptions like Jack's there that nail it. And you go, that is right. That is better than I could ever put into words. Because in terms of my appreciation, I would look at a game and I would go, yeah, Yaya Torre's man of the match. And Jack would probably look at the same game and say, David Silver's man of the match. And somebody could then explain it to me and I'll go, yeah, you're right, actually. I just noticed in my lazy way of watching football, Yaya Torre put it in the top corner from 25 yards and make a load of lung-busting runs. That, that is the difficulty that I think people have with David Silva because he doesn't do that. And what he does do is so far kind of beyond generally, I would say, and maybe I'm dragging other people down to my level unnecessarily, but generally I would say the English football public don't appreciate that quite as well. So I think if you were to have a conversation with a, a Spaniard for, for argument's sake, they would probably be speaking a lot more like Jack and be able to explicitly tell you why he's so good. Whereas I think in England, it's it's harder to appreciate because I don't. maybe we take it for granted a bit and maybe we just look at the fact that there are great players who can do this and look, maybe the, maybe we think, oh, well, I could do that or I do that. You know, I make a short pass I, or I could hold the ball a bit when I'm playing five side and we think it's easy because he makes it look so easy. But it's a bit like the Guardiola debate. You know, the better Guardiola's teams are, the more people seem to put it down to look or the, the money he's got or the fact that Barca was somehow already good before he got there, which he wasn't. Which I heard Ian Wright say on that Matt Today podcast the other day, and I was like, Ian, I really like what you do, <laughs> but you've let yourself down there. Uh, it's got it's almost like the easier people make it look, the simpler people make it look, the more we take it for granted. And that's why I think we struggle to to put into words. So fair play to Jack for yeah, absolutely nailing why why David Silva is, is so good and why, yeah, he probably is City's best all time player. And we're going to David Silva's debut, which was the nil nil draw at Tottenham at the start of the 2010-11 season and qu- quite it was a rubbish game but quite early on it, David, yeah it was the, so it's like most famous for heart heart played over given and was really really good yeah. and at one point in that game David Silva had the ball in the middle of midfield and I think it was Tom Huddleston ran straight into him and flattened him and it it was like watching like a freight train run into an easter egg like <laughs> so he just completely destroyed David All Silva right, Barney, and Silva was just sat on the ground, like with his arms outstretched, looking at the referee, to, as in saying, "How on earth is that not a foul?" But obviously, the play, you know, play continued, and Silva eventually got his breath back and got up and jogged on to get on with the game. But clearly, like over the course of his ten years in English football, he has got used to that. Like he, like Sam is right, he he is very able, he's used to getting kicked now, and he's. If I got one slight, re- not regret about Silva, but. I think he, like a lot of like a lot of City players over the last ten years, his physical peak actually probably came under Pellegrini in the 2013-14 season, and by the time I mean Guardiola did get the last good few years of Silver, but there are certainly a few players for whom 
that they were at their physical best under Pellegrini. And then by Guardiola, they were kind of on the way down a little bit. Although he ha- I was just thinking earlier about like what, I mean, I'd be interested to hear David and Sam's takes on this. Silver's best performances for City. I think the top three are all at Old Trafford. The six one, <laughs> the, the two, the, the two one at Old Trafford, uh, December 2017. He was fantastic, I think, in the two nil in April 2019, which helped to win the title. Then after Silva's final game at the Etihad, a 5-0 win over Norwich in July, Sam Lee talked about how it was sad the fans couldn't be there to say farewell. 55,000 people would have been on their feet applauding him. I'm sure the, uh, the Norwich fans would have been as well. Um, and everyone, you know, there might have been a few tears or whatever. Um, but no, I mean, there wasn't because it's just this weird new um, this, this weird new environment we're in. Um, but obviously all the players, you know, he, he kind of, hugs all the players on the way off and when he got to the bench you know he he hugged everyone on the bench um you know Guardiola and and Burrell and Juan Malio on the touchline and all of that and there was that appreciation and there was obviously City like employees in the press box you know like the analysts and stuff and they stood up and applauded him and that so there was that but it wasn't like emotional it was just like just a sh- I just felt sorry for him more than anything because it's, it's no way to go out is it um the substitution I thought was odd. I thought he'd just stay on the pitch the whole time because you just like those substitutions are always for the fans to have their moment and the players to have their moment with the fans. Yeah, so I I thought it was odd, and especially as he had probably have wanted to like he he really wanted to score, which we will get onto. But it looked like he did really want to score from that time in the second half when he did a load of twists and turns in the box with his back to goal and turned and had a shot and crawled saved it. And like normally he would have just passed there, I'm sure. Um, so he did really want to score, and it, I, I thought it was a bit odd. Like, if you're going to take him off, you might as well have done it like with a minute to go. Um, maybe it needed to work out with ten minutes to go, so Guardiola could get the subs on. It was Bernardo, wasn't it? And maybe Bernardo will play against Madrid in some capacity. So maybe it was all of that coming in. But I, I thought I didn't think it was a bit odd to take him off. But obviously, it was nice to get that reception from his teammates. But like the whole thing with the with that normally is you, you do it so the crowd can can say thank you. Like the teammates, you'll see them in the dressing room anyway and you'll see them in training for the next however long they're in the Champions League. So it was a bit strange, but um, a nice moment, I guess. But just that, again, like just unavoidably disappointing for him, I guess. Like it's it's not the way anybody would want to do it. I I can tell you honestly, Sam, um, watching from home, I didn't expect to have the reaction that I did. Um, I'm I'm not... yeah, it was really weirdly emotional, and I'm not going to lie. I like I I didn't cry, but I was starting to well up, and I didn't think like I didn't think watching it on TV would have that effect on me. Mm. If, if you know what I mean, I, I thought if I was in the stadium, I'd have been a I'd been a ball of tears. But I, I just think it, it was weird. I was sat on my own watching it on TV in like like just as that as his number went up. And I, it just there was that realization that I'm never actually going to be in the stadium to see him play again for my club in its league that you know I might I'll get to see yeah. him in a friendly or whatever but like just the appreciation of everything he's done for the, for this club over the last 10 years and that like the level that he's achieved with city not only is he one of the best players that I've ever seen he's one of the best players that this club has ever had you know there's there's the conversation about is he the best player that this club has ever had and and trying to compare it between eras but it's knowing that he gave this club the best years of his career when he could have played anywhere and just yeah. not being there to, to, to kind of see it end and to, 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 to kind of give him the, the applause that he deserves. I just honestly, it, it left me crushed. 
by the time that, that he'd gone off the pitch. And, you know, even seeing him on the bench, all smiles with, I think he was with Sterling on the bench and, and they were laughing. It just, like, I, I just, it, it just didn't, like, I, I felt, I, I felt awful and I felt really appreciative at the same time. It was, it was a weird, weird sensation. Yeah, well, I mean, there's nothing, there's nothing I could possibly add to that. Uh, I'm sure you've summed that up for, for a lot of fans, and that's fans whether they regularly go to the games or, or whether they don't. Uh, it's just, yeah, it's it's a, it's a sad moment, and I've been in enough of those situations. Obviously, the Zabaleta one I mentioned. Um, well, I suppose we didn't really know it was going to be company's last game, um, but I've been there for the testimonial. Um, uh, Tory as well, and obviously the, the Aguero one. I, that, I, that's going to break me. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, the, <laughs> if, I'm, the if we're back in the stadium way. for that, it's going to kill me. Well, I'm. I'm almost thinking, would he stay around until there, there can be fans? Because that's very much the. You know, he's just such a, a fun guy, Aguero. Um, but yeah, so I mean, I've mentioned it a few times. But the thing is, when it is Aguero's time to go, we'll all be expecting him to score. Well, not just wanting him to score because it would be a fitting way to go out. But like expecting it, and wouldn't be surprised if he scored a hat trick. But like everyone was like really willing Silver to score yesterday. I was sat in front of the Radio Manchester commentators, and he was like really like hoping he would score. And I, and I was like, I wonder if David Silver's even that bothered himself. And then, like I say, with that turn and shot in the second half, I was like, oh okay, he is. Yeah, he's but I was thinking like, I was thinking like, it's not. That's not a David Silver way to go. Obviously, it's nice. And if you're a defender and it's your last game, you'd, you'd want to score. You'd want to mark it in a certain way. But that's not, you know, nobody loves David Silver because of the goals he scores. Now, even if he'd have got an assist, it wouldn't, you wouldn't have even said it was a fitting way to go out. Like If he'd have got a pre-assist, you'd have probably said, oh, yeah, that's David Silver. Or if it that's him like, all over, yeah. Yeah, or if he'd love, you know, running the game. Or even just like if you had a, a fantastic turn or bit of footwork you could turn into a gif you could be like oh yeah that that's like a, that would have been like a fitting way to go out like, i i didn't i didn't feel like the goal was the be all and end all for him um but yeah clearly he did want to get it and it would have been a nice way to go out when you look at what he's achieved for city and and that 2012 team in particular uh, you look at, at like Yaya Toure, Joe Hart, Vincent Company all got mosaics around uh, the Etihad uh, campus and uh, all had training pitches named after them is that a fitting tribute to david silver no, I mean I think he is going to get uh, a training pitch named after him. Um, I think he wants more than that, from what I've heard. Um, and, and why wouldn't you? I, I, I'm not saying he's not going to get anything else, but I'm just saying that wouldn't be enough um, because you know Hart and I think certainly Torre are up there in that you know the kind of ultimate legends I, I mentioned earlier on. But you know David Silver is in that tier where you're talking statue kind of territory. Um, and that for me, that would be Silver Aguero and company. And I'm just wondering, a lot of people, are, I've seen some tweets about this, and they want like a statue of the three of them, but I wonder if City think that would be too similar to the one at United and they'd rather do it their own way and they could maybe have three on different sides of the stadium or in different parts. I don't, I don't know, I'll, I'll, but I think they might think it's too similar to the United one. Um, it would be iconic to have all the, those three together. As David Silva left for Spain, there were rumours gathering pace that a veteran world-class player could be making the opposite journey. It felt like months, but it was actually around a week that City fans spent wondering, will they, won't they sign Lionel Messi? It looked on, and the players' camp believed he could trigger a release clause in his contract, while Barcelona remained firm that he couldn't. In the end, Messi couldn't get out of his deal, and the transfer never happened. Here's how Sam Lee reacted. It's a shame, it's a shame isn't it? It's a shame. Well, I did a, I did a podcast. I think within an hour of his of his interview, um, and I was answering, trying to answer some of the questions. And, I, and like I say, like so from from my reading of it, like 
it's just such a weird thing right it seems to me weak in a way um for on messi's part because it's like well all we heard about was how there was no going back on his decision he's decided this and he's definitely leaving and it took one meeting and they've gone oh well, we're not going to be able to go so all right then. statement and carry on yeah. but like like, like everybody, I'm just, like everyone, every City fan at first was like, well, he's just doing it as a ploy to get rid of Bartomeu. And like, I think I might have even mentioned last week, but the information I had early on in this saga was like, well, he would stay. Like, he'd, he'd go to City, but he would stay um, if Bartomeu, the board, Kuman go and Xavi comes in. But like, he hasn't got any of that. Like, it's just, it's such a weird thing. And like, that's why part of me thinks. It, you know, it could be like, you know, calling Bartomeu's bluff to an extent. Because if not, what has he got out of it? And like, there isn't really enough money. Because look, the thing about selling Messi is City would, as far as I know, would would pay a fee and that fee would help Barca out. And obviously the money would be off the wages and then they could go and invest in the squad. But like, in a normal summer, you'd maybe say Griezmann could go for the same kind of amount, 100 million or like Dembele or Coutinho or something. But in this market, there's not, an awful lot of clubs around willing to pay those kind of fees. So it's like, it is kind of down to selling Messi more or less to get that money back and to reinvest it. So Messi's staying, but they can't really reinvest. They're either trying to get Vinaldum or, or Thiago and there's rumours of, of Depay, but it's, they can't really it's it almost the sporting project that Messi wants. That's what I mean. It's just, it just seems like... It, I mean, feel, it, it feels like everybody loses. Yeah, exactly. City lose, Barcelona lose, Messi loses. Yeah, I mean, yeah, more or less. But I mean, obviously, no team with Messi in can lose, really, because obviously the, the massive upside is they, they have still got Messi. But obviously, as we saw last season, that wasn't enough. Like, if your team's bad, if you're not run very well, then having Messi isn't enough because Barcelona didn't win anything last year. So, exactly. So, it's exactly that. Um, yeah, it, it's, it was kind of a very unsatisfactory ending in 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 that sense, obviously there'll be loads of Barca fans who are happy he's staying, but like I say, I'd probably say to them, obviously I can understand that, but Messi isn't enough um, to win things. And at the moment, I'm not sure how they're going to be able to recoup the rest of the money to, to, you know, to get back on track. Like it all, like, I don't know. It, it's very difficult to make the case that they'd have been better off without Messi, but I don't know. There are, a, there are a few reasons like, you know, they, if they'd have banked that money and, and moved on in a new direction, then great. But if they're, they're keeping him, as I've said a hundred times already in the last two minutes, he on his own is not enough. Yeah. And they, if they can't put new stars around him to do it, it's almost like they'd have been better banking that money, securing their financial future, saying thanks for the memories and, and carrying on. But I mean, obviously that's why everyone hates Bartomeu because he, but even a lot of Barca fans wanted, or Barca fans on my Twitter at least seemed like keen for Messi to go and if as if to say, well, yeah, thanks for the memories and you've earned it, but obviously yeah. get out while you can sort of way. thing. Yeah. yeah. What, uh, like, what do you think happens next? Because, you know, officially he's on a free next summer. He could sign a pre-contract in January. I mean, City will go back for him, surely. Yeah. In, in the same way that in 2017, when it didn't happen, they went back now. Um, and obviously look, it's own like, and the thing is now, normally we're talking about these transfer sagas. They're normally like, July, and then you've got six months until January. But January's not that far off from where we are now. So if City don't, you know, if there's no development before the the transfer window closes in October, if this wasn't a play for Messi to kind of still get out but do it on his terms, which I admit kind of stretches the bounds of reality a bit, um, you would think that 
because it's not like from January the 1st, City would ring up and say, oh, your contract's ended in six months. Do you want to talk? You know, they'd probably be staying in touch. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, that that's always the thing. Like, do you remember, obviously nobody cares now because it was Alexis Sanchez, but do you remember when Alexis Sanchez fell through and because they couldn't quite get it done on the last day? But they were like, okay, well, we'll go back in January. But things change. Obviously, he still wanted to leave Arsenal, but he ended up going somewhere else. And that's the thing. And, like, the, the nearer they get to the end of next season, you know, Messi said when he told his family he wanted to leave, they were all crying and stuff. And you can you can understand that. You know, they, they would genuinely love their life. And look, as much as I enjoy living in Manchester, it's, it's not going to be for everyone. <laughs> if you're used to living in luxury um, near Barcelona. So... And the nearer he gets to the end of next season, the nearer he gets, of course, to Bartomeu going anyway because of the elections. And there's just no way he's going to win. Like, there's no way he's going to win the next elections. The easier it probably is for Messi to be like, well, he's gone now. The new guys come in. Javi's going to be manager or whatever it might be. Um, whoever, you know, whichever players they might get in. Um, and uh, to me, if I'm guessing, as much as I think City would stay in charge and try and do it, if I'm guessing... It would, it would just get much easier for Messi to think I might as well stay because if he does, you know, if he does stay for the next four months, then he's got time for for things to calm down. And he's also getting towards being thirty four, and he's like, well, I've only got a couple of years left anyway, so I might as well. Might as well see it out. Yeah, that, that's my that's my guess. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure that City will go back because you know I think it's obvious now, given how much they tried this time. I, I mean, I, sp- I suppose the thing is, like, why wouldn't you ask the question? Back. Would you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, see what's going on, and like they might even try and like agree something now. But even you know, in football, people are always like, oh, what about tapping up? But it doesn't matter. Like, forget it. Everyone does it. In fact, somebody like some Barca journalist tweeted that they were like, oh, if Messi goes to City, can can Barca like report them for tap, tapping up? And another Barca journalist said, what about Eric Garcia? So like, it's just <laughs> something that happens all the time. Um, so they could have an agreement, but obviously, despite all that kind of in quotes tapping up. They can't sign anything anyway. So even if they did find an agreement like next week, yeah, like there's a lot of time for things to change. So my guess on what happens next, as like I say, as a guess, is City will try and get him again, but I'd imagine it'd be much easier for him to, to stay at Barcelona. So, no Messi, not in 2020 at least, anyway. That saga might resurface again soon, though. The other question mark was over Guardiola's future. He was entering his final season at the club, and there was no news on a contract extension. Ahead of the game with Spurs in late November, it was announced he would be staying put for another two years. After the 2-0 defeat at Tottenham, Sam gave his thoughts. People always say, oh, well, you know, if it was, this was any other manager, he'd be under pressure by now. And uh, yeah, that's true, but that's a bit disingenuous because this is Guardiola and it's like, it's not like he hasn't proved himself. Yeah, he's not any other um, manager. He's not any other manager and it's not any other club. They back him implicitly and like rightly so. But the only thing I would add to my own opinion of, you know, keeping Guardiola is the best thing they could do is he just needs to, you know, it's but it's not a catch-all, is it? So I actually did a podcast on Friday after you know, obviously after the contract had been signed, um, and before the Spurs game, and I was still kind of down on it. I was still like, "Well, it's not. I don't think it's going to fix everything." I was like, "I might be wrong. I don't. I don't necessarily think they're going to just turn around and start blitzing teams again." Now, there's still a lot that needs to be fixed, and and that's the issue. And it's it's a mad situation, isn't it? Really, where we're talking about all this, and the manager just signed a new contract, and everyone's really happy about it. Like it is. It's just. It is a bit weird, isn't it? And but I I just want them to fix it without. I said this in the summer. Buying players is fine. Everyone does it. But they can't just limp through this season. And obviously, there was those stories last week. One, that Guardiola was going to be back in the transfer market. And it's like, well, 
why didn't you back him in the summer? And the other one was now Guardiola signed, City feel that um that you know that helps with their transfer plans because they've got the certainty there and they can say you're going to pay for Guardiola. So why why wasn't this sorted out in the summer? Like what what were they waiting for? Like obviously they were waiting for something. You know Guardiola was waiting for something to say okay I'm going to stay. But what was act- what was that actually? What's what's changed? What's changed? Because it's not like in August the first eight November. games they've been. Yeah, I mean, maybe Guardiola's look. Maybe Guardiola's looked at them and go, "God, they're knackered, and they're doing absolutely all they can." And I'm convinced that when they're not knackered, they'll be fine. But it's not like they've blitzed the first eight games, and he's like, "Okay, great, we're we're going to be okay here. We we can go again." I, I don't know what anybody's seen to to mean that it's dramatically different from the summer. It's really strange. And like I'm saying, they should have signed him in the summer, and I'm kind of glad for City that they have signed him now but I don't know why they what's changed like why didn't they just do it in the summer and if they think well Guardiola being around is going to help them in the transfer market they've co- they've cost themselves a summer of transfers and what are they going to do now like is is the implication that the squad isn't there you know that they're, they're not going to do anything this season they're going to limp through the season the rest the you know the other 30 games and wait to buy players in the transfer window oh, surely not like, yeah. there's, there's got to be more to it than that. And that, that's that's what I'm looking to see, really. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The defeats at Spurs left many downbeat, but since then City really did sort their defence out, something we'd all been desperately wanting for months, especially since the Champions League exit against Lyon. It may have resulted in fewer goals scored, but there were plenty more clean sheets, with John Stones and Ruben Diaz forming an excellent partnership at the back. Here's what Sam made of it. I was speaking to somebody the other day who plays golf with him, and it's always good to to speak to somebody new who knows him, and it just kind of reinforces everything you you already know already like whenever whenever they talk it's always you know it's not it's genuinely not about the defense for him you know when he always says in press conferences oh well if we scored that we wouldn't be talking about the defense he's not even trying to take the heat off them or or play mind games with the forwards or whatever that's genuinely what he's like and that's what you know that's what we'll decide it so and and the thing is if Guardiola has found it like a structure and, and again, this is kind of why it's like, to be fair to him, how many times have I said on this podcast he should find solutions with his, within his own team rather than rely on the transfer window? I mean, look, it's not, as, it's not really what I had in mind. And I still think he could probably play... I still think he could play Bernardo and, and De Bruyne as number eights, uh, and he could play Foden as a number eight. But I mean, he, he won't, obviously, because of how he sees, how he sees the game. But I'm sure that would still work. But he has found solutions. 
But again, um, it, it all comes down to the balance of what's entertaining versus what's you know what's going to get us points. Yeah, but but yeah, and just for me as well, it's like it's easier. Is it easier? I think it might be easier to 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 make that change. So he's obviously he's made that change now, and the team are a bit more solid in those games. Like I said, I don't I don't think they're going to approach every game like they did at United. So that's a one off. They, like I say, they will need to be different against Southampton. But what they do need to do, and what he can't change. I don't think he can improve because no coach can is scoring the goals because we saw last season they were creating more chances than everyone else loads more but just missing so many and it was generally Sterling it was generally Jesus who were missing them and that's something that still needs to change but obviously the thing this season is they've they're not creating as many chances as they normally do um, and you know that might be because they're playing safer football obviously I think they were just playing worse football at times earlier in the season for whatever reason you know injuries tiredness whatever so that's part of it but they're, they're, they are creating less as well so there is an element of this defensive solidity will help and just having like Ruben Diaz who can defend on the pitch and John Stones who's confident in playing well on the pitch that will help and Laporte because you know he's not a write-off clearly and he played very well when he came back in in the week and I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if it was him and Stones soon just for one game anyway to see how it goes um that helps, but you you need your forwards to score goals. And like he, he dismissively yeah. said, you know, I think somebody asked him in the, after the press conference, how do you sort that out? And he just went to put the ball in the net or something. It was like, yeah, okay. But yeah. it's a pithy response. As I say, he can't do anything other than, than like if he if he if he creates the football in the build up to, to that that gives the striker the opportunity of an open goal and they miss it. Like, there's, the, what more can he do? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Like the structures were in place last season, they were cre- they were creating a lot of chances. Even though, you know, they, they they weren't as good last year. There were problems, but it was the weird thing with City was those problems were only evident well, once every three games. Whereas this season, they just seem a different team altogether. Like you could watch City in most games last season and just be like, "This is the same team as it ever was." Yeah, and then you could watch them in about a third of their games and be like, "Oh, they're not." Whereas this season, it's just like, not quite sure. Like what this city team is, you know. If you take the Burnley, the Burnley game out of it, it's just, it, it is it's it's a different looking side. Um, they, they is don't, is they this don't, the best they you can do with this group of players? players? Well, yeah. I mean, again, the whole devil's advocate thing is, I do think he, the way he looks at his team and the way he thinks I need to get results from this team, and I use need to set up my team using these guys and not anybody else. And his very specific way of looking at things and the way that the squad is made up. I think this might be his way of thinking this is the best I can get out of the team. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the best anybody could get out of the team. Or maybe, I, I don't know, I'm not saying another, I'm not actually saying another manager could do a better job. But like I said, there's surely scope for. for I don't know, like maybe Carl Walker could get forward more often and create more width down that side. You know, you know, surely it doesn't. All, I mean, maybe does it always have to be uh, a Gundogan sitting in there, like if alongside Rodri or Fernandinho? Like, could could it not be Bernardo who's allowed to get forward like De Bruyne does or Foden? I mean, I've I've talked about the whole powers element before, and that's what it is. But this is what I mean by the way Guardiola sees the squad and the way it's made up. Like, it it does seem to be that this is this is almost kind of the best the best he can hope for and also the way that you know that the high pressing has dropped off so it dropped off a bit last season it's dropped off even more this season for whatever reason you know it could just be fatigue 
and you'd imagine it is because most teams have dropped off. But the fact is that it has dropped off. And if you can't control a game through the high pressing, then you do need to be a bit more solid in the middle, maybe. And if you can't control a game through David Silver's use of the ball or even Gundogan's use of the ball, then maybe you do just control. You have to be a bit, bit, bit too, more solid, yeah. Two two big fuckers in the midfield who don't let anyone pass them. Uh, like maybe that is maybe that is the way. Now, City have celebrated many anniversaries recently, but can you believe that 2020 is the 15th anniversary of one of the boldest tactical manoeuvres in City's history? Needing a goal, Stuart Pearce dreamt this up. Claudio Reyna off, Nicky Weaver on, and David James up front. Sam Lee and Jack Pitt-Brook spoke about the crazy final day of the 2004-2005 season. It's one of those things I think everyone kind of knows about, but you know, it's 15 years ago now, which is mad. But you know about it and go, well, that was silly, wasn't it? Um, but then, yeah, I had a little look into it and speaking to the people I did, you know, I speak to David James himself, spoke to Nicky Weaver, who came on, uh, spoke to Steve McLaren, who's a Middlesbrough manager. A colleague spoke to Deriva, the Middlesbrough defender that David James just clattered into <laughs> at least twice. And then I sent, I sent David James afterwards, the message Deriva had sent. And he was laughing about that because, to be fair, David James was really sound. He was he was really good about it. We had a good chat. You know, he was he was laughing about how ridiculous it was. He, he, he said, "There's a lot of contradictory stuff about this." Um, you know, people say, "Oh, they knew about it before." I spoke to John Macken, who's like clearly still pissed off about it because um, obviously he was the striker on the bench. Um, but you know, he said, "Oh yeah, we knew before the game." And Nicky Weaver was like, "Oh yeah, David James knew about it, and Stuart Pearce knew knew about it, but they were basically the only people." But James said he only knew at half time, and if he had known before, he would have at least done some training beforehand. But he was like, Stuart Pearce didn't even tell him what he wanted him to do. You know, he didn't even, you know, didn't tell him what kind of role he wanted him to play up front. So James just had to kind of get on with it and, and yeah, just be the battering ram. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, and and again, to be fair to James, he, he was great at telling the story, and he said, you know, the, the YouTube highlights aren't very complimentary towards him. But it was so funny because he'd get the ball and you know have a couple of nice touches, but then. Well, in one case, nice touches. In the second case, he tried for a volley and kind of hit it into the ground. And <laughs> then he flew into the tackle. And it was just, as he said himself, the referee probably would have sent him off if he was an outfield player because he was just so reckless and chaotic, really. James James was at the back post for that cross when, um, I can't remember who handled it, but uh, when the Middlesbrough defender handled it, it was it was aimed at James. Yeah, it was. It was aimed at James. But And like I actually said that to him. I was like, look, you were making the run to the back post. He was like, yeah, I was, I was there. I was going to score. But... Fine. Now, for that, it was aimed at him, but I mean, it could have been aimed at me, but it could have been aimed at John McEnroe. It could have been aimed at pushing up any, anybody else on the pitch who knew what they were doing. And fine, he made the right run, but regardless, that ball would have been put <laughs> into the box. But the other, it's the other ones, so the, turn, the touches on the edge of the box or the shots on the edge of the box and that kind of stuff. You know, another player could have done that role so much better. And yeah, I mean, as Macken was telling me and as other people were telling me, you know, a lot of fans were pissed off about it. And, you know, that's kind of been made obvious in the comments as well so I, if, I feel like it was a really worthwhile event to go back and have a look at but obviously obviously you two as fans or especially as young fans as well you think what the hell were you thinking what what were you, what were your thoughts jack i was surprised i think looking back it's quite embarrassing uh it's just it's embarrassing to have to do that i think uh i also but i also think that if if it had worked pierce certainly would have been hailed as a genius even if even if james going up front wasn't necessarily the cause of it working People just would have put would have put two and two together. They would have said, "Look, he tried this amazing thing, and then he got the outcome that he wanted." And you know, maybe the connection between the two things is slightly hazy, but 
it's uh, you know th- that's kind of how it works, isn't it? If, if man, like we attribute the outcomes we see on football pitch to obvious decisions we've seen a manager make, regardless of how much of a causal link there actually is. Um, so yeah, it would he would have been hell as a genius. He might still be manager now. It just still strikes me as being completely ridiculous. And when I see it back, and you know, read Sam's piece and everything, I still think, what on earth were they doing? Like it's just. It just it makes a farce of the whole game, and I, I generally don't go in for this kind of like uh, people who get up on a high horse about respect and handshakes and fair play and uh, all that stuff. It kind of makes my skin crawl. All that all that kind of narrative, but in this instance, I do think it is incredibly disrespectful to do this to the game and to your own team and to the opposition. It's just a farce. Was was there a point, Jack? Where we we in the stadium that day? I, I can't remember if you said. No, 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 I wasn't. So you, you didn't get that moment. I I was I, I was sat in the north stand, and I, there was this moment where Nicky Weaver was was on the touchline, and I was thinking, oh, James must be injured. And then there's this this glorious moment of of the revelation when you see the kit man pull out an outfield shirt with one James on the back, and you and it's just like the penny drops about what's about to happen. Um, and then, I, I mean, on top of all of that as well, City were playing in their away kit for the the following season as a promotional tool. Oh yeah, yeah, that does like that does add an extra layer of um, just like jokiness to the whole thing. And look, I'm sure being in the stadium at that point and seeing the James One outfield kit unveil unveiled would have been amazing. It sounds like it's kind of has like a slight like WWE feel to it, doesn't it? Like you, you, David James. You know, you see Weaver coming on, and you would expect James to come off, and then it's like David James's. Is that David James's music? And David James is still on, but in a new role. <laughs> it does have that. It does have. It does have that kind of like wrestling feel, like people. You know, when a character like changes his role or does something surprising, and everybody in the stadium is like shocked by this amazing outcome that we've never seen before. And yet, in this case, unlike a lot of stuff in football, it is unprecedented. Like it just isn't something that we ever see. Well, that just about brings an end to the Why Always Us review of 2020. Thank you very much for listening to all of our podcasts this year. You can hear more of those discussions by subscribing to the show in all the usual places. There's more that we couldn't squeeze in too, like me and Jack Pickbrook reminiscing about Edin Dzeko, Mario Balotelli and Roberto Mancini during football's downtime. There's also Ollie Kay talking about his interview with former City player Michael Johnson. And Sam Lee interviews Neda Manua, while Nicky Weaver reminisces about the 1999 Division 2 playoff final so there is really plenty to get stuck into. If you sign up to The Athletic now, you'll get an extra free subscription. You can give it to another City fan and you can enjoy Why Always Us ad-free. Just use the code MANCITYPOD. I'm David Mooney. Have a happy new year. We'll be back soon. And the final word of this week's show goes to Sam Lee. Hi, guys. Just wanted to drop in a quick note to say thank you very much for all your support this year. It feels like we've been going forever, but it was only the start of 2020 that we kicked off this podcast It's been a difficult year for everyone. I know there have been times when, you know, I couldn't even think about football. It didn't mean anything to me. There were times when I've really needed football as a kind of distraction. And whatever mood you've been in over the last 12 months, I hope we've been able to give you some enjoyment and entertainment and some insight as well. Um, Going into 2021, who knows what that's got in store for us. But we will continue to bring you that enjoyment and entertainment and hopefully insight because, you know, As we've seen from this year alone with Manchester City, there's all sorts going on and I can't imagine that's going to change anytime soon. Cheers.